Opinions stated in this podcast should not be used as evidence. Assume that any cited evidence can be found in the related Candor Briefs releases. Thank you, and welcome to Former Partners. Hi, my name is Quentin Cooper. And I am Lucas Monroe. We're just a, a couple of guys, a couple of mediocre debaters. A couple of partners. Former partners. Former partners, true. I guess we're sort of partners again now. Partners in life. Ooh. Just kidding. We're not <laughs> partners in life. Uh, partners in, in friendship. That's fair. Friend, friends. We're fartners. F- fartners? <laughs> <laughs> Today, these partners you're talking about resolved. Oh, yeah. This is the uh, Former Partners podcast, by oh, the yeah. way. And we are former partners. You want to uh, redo that? Oh, no, no. Okay. Let's just leave it. Cool. This is totally organic. I do like organs. Me too. They do a lot for us. Yeah. Your kidney's worth $200,000 in the black market. Just saying you got two of them. You only need one. Hook me up. I could use that anyway. This is episode number five. This is an introduction to the February public forum topic about arms sales to Saudi Arabia. The resolution is resolved. The United States should end its arms sales to Saudi Arabia. Pretty self-explanatory, except not really. That's what we're going to talk about. So, uh, first thoughts, Quentin, what do you think? At first, it seems super pro-heavy. I agreed in the car ride over here and then started thinking about it, and now I'm not so sure. Yep. That's how it typically works. I and curse the NSDA and then do some research and realize, okay, they might know what they're doing, actually. Yeah, it's like they've been doing this for a while and that they're a international or no, yeah, an international organization for yeah, a reason. Sort of. Yeah, it's like they've been doing this for almost 100 years now. Has it really been that long? Yeah, I went back the other day and looked at previous policy topics and the first one was like the 20s. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so... If you're ever thinking that bait's not a big deal, you're not doing anything cool, just realize you're part of an organization by doing NSDA-sponsored activities that's been around for almost 100 years. Yeah, and that's just NSDA has been around for that long. There have been, like, debate existed before that. Oh, for 100%. I mean, our logical fallacies come from a lot of Greek and Roman philosophers. Right, but I mean, debate as an activity lasted or started long before the NSDA started. That is the truth. So, um, Lincoln Douglas, Lincoln Douglas, they were, that was, they were old. They were, are old. (laughs) So some of the things we're going to be talking about are a background to the topic. What's going on with Saudi Arabia and Yemen and Iran? What's the whole conflict about? We're going to look at what are arms sales? Why should we, or should we not stop selling them to Saudi Arabia? What do we do with Saudi Arabia? And look at some topic analysis for advocacy on the pro and con side. Before we get into that, Lucas, do you want to talk about anything? This is our fifth episode of the podcast. If you've watched every episode thus far, we love you. You are the reason that we do this. If you're just joining us for the first time, don't worry. We still love you, and you're still the reason that we do this. Uh, 
we only are able to do this project because you guys keep coming back for more. And thank you so much for being a part of it with us. Yep. Every day that I do this, I feel good about it. It is a satisfying thing to do. It's a good way to spend our time and it keeps me out of jail. So not me. <laughs> Quinn's actually doing this podcast live from his jail cell via yep. a webcam. Yep. How you guys doing? Just kidding. He's not in I jail. I to bribe the guards. So first thing, what are arms sales? Because on its surface, that sounds like guns and ammo. Well, that's definitely a part of it, and it's going to change depending on what definitions you're using for arm sales in your debate round. If you're not sure what I'm really talking about here, we're referring to framework arguments. Definitions fall into framework arguments, uh, which is how you're setting up the debate round, how it's going to flow, what scope it's going to have. And I think that your definition of arm sales is actually going to be an important one on oh, this very, topic. Very, very. Um, the one that I have cut is from the Congressional Research Service. It says conventional arms orders, which include all categories of weapons and ammunition, military spare parts, military construction, military assistance and training programs and all associated services. That's huge. So that's not just guns and ammo and bombs and missiles. And no, that's everything from guns, ammo, bombs, missiles to the training to use said guns, ammos, bombs, and missiles, as well as the training for medical assistance. Uh, it could even be infrastructure development exactly. in those countries. It could just be sheer economic stimulus in those countries. Yeah. We actually, we have a short list of what just the word military assistance in that definition that includes military financing, economic support funds, which is like where we give them money from our military grant so that they can free up money to use on their military. Which we go with this definition to broaden the scope of the resolution a little bit because we think it's important to talk about more than just the sale of weapons and ammo and military vehicles and getting a definition of arms sales that includes that phrasing of military assistance is really important to open up these other things as well. Right. One, because it gives Neg more chances to argue their side. hundred percent necessary because it is, it would be kind of hard to argue for Khan to argue. Yeah, we, we need to sell them weapons and ammo. But now that we're talking about also things like military education, counter narcotics programs, um, nuclear non-proliferation, anti-terrorism, demining services, right? Peacekeeping operations. All of that stuff is included in the quote unquote military assistance. Um, just for a little, you know, breakdown of the terminology right there. A couple of things we just hit non-proliferation is referring to nuclear non-proliferation, i.e. keeping countries that don't have the bomb from gaining the bomb. And demining is literally what it sounds like. It's not anything fancy. It's just going in and removing landmines right. from civilian areas mostly. Which actually they just did. Saudi Arabia removed 12,000 landmines. Oh, I thought it was almost 20,000. No, it was 11,000 and change. Oh, okay. Um, landmines from their area that the Houthis planted. Um, Who are the Houthis, Quentin? Well, the Houthis are who Saudi Arabia is fighting in Yemen, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Okay. Um, we'll do a little background on the nature of the military right, conflict, the conflict that's going on right now. Probably the reason, well, the reason we have this topic is two reasons. One, the conflict and two, um, the murder of that 
reporter. Turkish journalist. He was American. I thought he was oh Turkish descent, right? Well, they there was another one a few years back. Okay, I must be thinking of a different reporter. I know that there was a Turkish journalist murdered as well that caused some international flare-ups. Right. Um, I kind of I I don't really I get it. I get why it's in the news. It's awful, but it doesn't really relate here. You know, the murder of the Turkish journalist. No, the the murder of the. If if it's not the same person. Oh, I understand what you're saying. You know what I mean, well, I, I mean, I think it could be relevant for. Well, because a lot of you know, there's currently there's congressional support. They're passing bills to stop selling arms to Saudi Arabia because of the murder of the U.S. reporter. Well, yeah, they killed a uh, U.S. civilian. It's a lot different than killing a U.S. military person. Right. Like, but it's, yeah, they're both humans. Yeah, it's horrible that they're both dead, but one of them signed up for a job where they're more likely to die than the other. Right. And no matter, it's awful, but it's messy. And, it, um, you know, that's probably part of the reason we're discussing this topic. Uh, I would say almost definitely that and the fact that the Trump administration does actually have a handful of deals going on with yeah. Saudi Arabia, some $20 billion yeah. in military uh, arms sales have yeah. been made under this um, Trump administration well, to Saudi Arabia. Potential arms sales. They haven't been fulfilled yet and they can be canceled at any time. But yeah, under the Trump administration, as of November of 2018, which was a couple months ago, but um, there were about $20 billion in potential arms sales from the United States to Saudi Arabia. So it is a, you know, it's happening. It is something in the status quo that is occurring pretty frequently um, in large numbers. I mean, the United States is the number one supplier of arms to Saudi Arabia. We make up 61% of their arms supplies. That's a lot. That is a lot. Um, That's the majority even. Yeah. So when we're talking about these arms sales into Saudi Arabia and the fact that the United States makes up a majority of the arms sales, I think a natural question is what are, what is the Saudi Arabian government buying all of these arms for? Why are they spending $20 billion or more on arms? Right. Potentially 20 billion, um, which takes us into topic analysis, which nice, nice transition there. Yeah. I was trying to think of a segue. <laughs> we, we talk off of the mic sometimes. So that way it seems like we actually plan this out at all. Yeah. We are sort of organized. Um, so what is happening in the area is there are people called the Houthi rebels, which are actually a sect of the Islamic um, belief, a, a sect of Islam. And they are trying to take the Yemen government because they see the Yemen government as corrupt. Saudi Arabia is trying to prevent this because they do not see the Yemen government as corrupt. They are also... The Saudi Arabian government views the Houthis as an extension of Iran. And Saudi Arabia and Iran have a long history um, for hundreds of years just based in religion and land and all these different things. Um, which you feel free to research that. But the fact is, Iran and Saudi Arabia, they deal with each other, but they do not like each other. So you're telling me that we have a topic about an individual country in the Middle East, but we're not going to only be able to talk about one country in the Middle East because of instability? When have we ever had a topic about one country in the Middle East where we didn't talk about four others? I know. That was, I know. <laughs> that was kind of the joke. Yeah. Um, 
you're going to talk a lot about Yemen and Iran in this topic, at least if if you take the tip of what I assume is going to be the default approach looking at the conflict. Um, there are other ways to talk about it, but I think that's going to be the majority of the debate is going to be talking about Saudi Arabia, the Houthis, and Iran. So the Yemenese government is not on board with the Houthi rebels at all. Right. Yeah, the Yemenese government is the Houthis' enemy, as is Saudi Arabia. Okay. So essentially what's happening is... The U.S. is selling arms to Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia is funneling these arms into Yemen to aid the Yemenese government in fighting off the Houthi rebels. Right. Saudi Arabia is... Saudi Arabia themselves are fighting the Houthi rebels. Okay. um, For Yemen. So that's where we're finding our links to get this discussion back into the topic. Okay. Um, Essentially what's happening is since Saudi Arabia doesn't like Iran and they see the Houthi rebels as as an extension of Iran, they're trying to fight Iran on the backs of Yemeni citizens that really have nothing to do with Saudi Arabia or Iran. Um, and it's, it's innocent getting people messy. getting caught up in regional instability in the Middle East. Again, I'm I'm just horribly shocked by the I whole know, ordeal. I, I don't. I just don't get it. Why is this happening? Oh, right, because they're unstable. Yeah, it, because we're funneling, or not just us, but dozens of superpowers throughout the world are funneling billions of dollars of arms into a region that's already been unstable for thousands of years. Wild. I know. Who would have guessed that this would turn out poorly? Because oil. Freedom's knocking. Hey, you guys have oil? Let us... We're, we're going to help you now. We're going to give you some freedom. Do not resist. <laughs> Otherwise, your freedom won't be as free as it could be. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a good... I think that's a good topic analysis as yeah, to... Or at least some background yeah. to the conflict. Um, going into, into pro and con, for one, it's going to be based on what definition you use. Like we talked about... The definition I have includes a lot more than just weapon sales. If you're pro, you might want to find a definition that is just about weapon ammunition sales. This is a good time to talk about authority in regards to definitions and debate. So, who? What does your definition of arms sales come from again? Congressional the Research Congressional Office. Congressional Research Service. Yeah. Research Service. Okay. So the CRS says this is what arms sales are. I'm sure the United Nations Council on Foreign Affairs is going to say it's one thing, and the U.S. Department of Defense is going to say it's another thing, and you can have a million different definitions thrown around in this debate room, and it's you're just going to be wondering, sitting there to yourself, you know, who's right? Who's got the best definition? If I'm not mistaken, because this was the standard while we were still in the program, Black's Law is generally referred to as the ultimate authority on definitions right. for and, speech and debate. And that's typically for for normal definition. See, the thing about this topic is if you look up the definition of arms, it's just going to say weapons and ammunition. Okay. But if you look up stuff from the U S government about what arms sales they do, it includes more. So you may end up having to debate definition. Yeah. And as much as I hate wasting time on debating definitions, for this topic, it probably will be important, and framework is actually going to maybe even be a voting issue in some of your rounds. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is totally a viable option to say armed sales are only weapons and ammo, and it's also totally viable to say, considering the framing of the resolution, what we're selling to Saudi Arabia, 
arm sales include a lot more. Yeah. So it is, it is going to be a topic of discussion throughout the debate, unless you guys just end up agreeing. Which that is always a chance. If you bring the same definition to the table on both sides of the debate, then you can just drop the framework altogether and not have to worry about that. It's a mutual agreement at that point. Because it is also, it could be beneficial for pro to say that arm sales are more than just weapons and ammunition. That arm sales are things like support and training and all these things because you, you could find negatives to those things too. You could find impacts for removing or, or stopping the training of the Saudi Arabian military. It definitely exists. We saw some earlier that was literally saying that the reason that some of these human rights violations are so severe is due to the training that they've received from U.S. military forces. Right, and that will be available in the Canterbury's first release. That will be ready in the next few days. I'm still working on it. Yeah, this is a... This is what we like to kind of call like our bread and butter area. We really enjoyed military topics and we really enjoyed talking about the Middle East. So Middle East military topics are just beautiful. Yeah, it was always a lot of fun to debate these topics. Not to say that the mass death of civilians and the regional instability caused by these conflicts is beautiful. But the topic itself is just That's usually really well set out and a lot of great clash can occur. Yeah, and, and, and real discussions happen. So looking at each individual side, at f just on the surface, these are the things that we think will be brought up. Um, it seems like pro is going to be advocating for human rights, um, legality based on human rights, because in some instances the Saudi Arabians have broken international law and violated human rights agreements during the conflict. Like the... AECA of what was it 1971 76 76 yeah the arms and exports control agreement um that and the FAA that was 61 right yeah that's where I was getting something like that but those two pieces of legislation set the guidelines for who we sell arms to how we decide if we're going to sell arms to them that kind of thing and it is it it's kind of up in the air. It's going to require a debate. Yeah, because there are stipulations in there that essentially say if a country is committing X amount of human rights violations that you can't then in good conscience sell them arms or military assistance or anything of that nature. Right. So that is going to be another topic of debate. Pro can advocate for nonviolence. They could say, you know, we need to stop supporting a war no matter what the benefits for us are, if there are any. They can also argue international image. Not everybody agrees with the Saudi Arabians on this issue, and us supporting them and selling them arms for it doesn't necessarily make us look great. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense, because you look to the U.S. as a leader in peace efforts around the world for the most part, but then if you turn around and there is a government like Saudi Arabia that some people see as corrupt, uh, that is supporting the quelling of the Houthi rebels, which some people might even see as a just cause, that we look like the bad guy in that situation. Or even if we're not pulling the aid, we're not necessarily supporting them openly, but we're just not pulling the aid to them, that's as bad as us condoning the violence. Right. No inaction is action itself. Exactly. And every, every topic... Every war, 
every conflict, there are two sides to it, no matter how one-sided it may seem. And somebody, somewhere, agrees with the Houthis on this topic. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, because it's ha- it's happening. They have the numbers to lead a successful rebellion against an organized government. So there have right, to at least yeah. be a handful of people that are Some, agreeing with them. Somebody somewhere is agreeing with it. So talking a little bit more about human rights, Saudi Arabia is violating international law and human rights agreements in civilian casualties, the way that they use their weapons, like cluster bombs and cluster munition. As well as illegal long-term detainment with no trial, keeping right. people in jail for months or years even without even giving them charges, let alone taking them to a trial. Right. These violations aren't necessarily the Saudi Arabians violating international law or human rights against the Houthis or Yemenese people. Sometimes they are violating human rights in their own country. Against their own citizens. And that is an issue in and of itself. Now, there, again, there are blocks to these arguments Every issue has two sides. It is debatable if these human rights um, mistreatments are legitimate or not. Yeah, because it's really interesting. Uh, A lot of people don't realize that a lot of the statutes in place currently, especially in the AECA, actually have a risk assessment associated with the selling of arms to countries that are in the middle of conflicts or in the middle of human rights violations. So... Under the status quo, technically, we're already not selling arms to any country that's breaking these laws. So you could argue under the con side that, well, we're still selling these arms. We've been selling these arms. We have statutes in place that stop us from selling to countries that are committing human rights violations. So the human rights violations must not be happening to the degree that you're describing. Right. Based on the AECA, every time a new arms sale agreement comes up, they look at the situation and decide, okay, they're in a situation where it would be okay for us to sell them arms. And based on that, no matter if you agree or not, based on our current guidelines, technically, it is totally allowed. Yeah, if uh, if the congressional committee that oversees these types of deals because certain deals that reach certain dollar amounts have to have congressional approval or at least oversight. Um, If they so determine that it's in violation of one of these international agreements that we've signed on to, they would shut it down and they aren't being shut down. So at the very least, the people that are in power in the United States currently don't have the belief that Saudi Arabia is violating human rights enough to stop the flow of these arms into Saudi Arabia. Now, whether or not they actually are is where the debate's going to happen. Right. There are pieces of evidence like Thomas 2017 saying that legal analysis has concluded that sales of arms to Saudi Arabia should not be presumed to be permissible. These limitations include prohibitions against the sale of weapons to countries that consistently violate human rights, restrict the delivery of humanitarian assistance, or use weapons in a way that differs from their originally agreed upon sale. The important part there, one, is consistently violate human rights, which is sort of up in the air, but something that Saudi Arabia is doing is restricting the delivery of humanitarian assistance to Yemen. They blocked a port, and they have been for months that the port only exists so that the United Nations can deliver humanitarian aid to Yemen because of the conflict and they are blocking it. That is in violation. That is in violation of international laws. So, I mean, under that, we shouldn't be making these sales, but 
this is where it gets kind of dicey. Right. Because there's also statutes in the same agreements that talk about how if it's militarily beneficial to the United States and if those benefits can outweigh the detriments associated with the decision that it can be made in light of credible allegations of the violations of international humanitarian laws. Right. The third part of the American Exports Control Act reads, the act required the White House to deliver a politico-military risk assessment of each proposed arms sale to ensure that the national security benefits would outweigh any potential negative consequences. So that means no matter the restriction of humanitarian aid, no matter the humanitarian or the human rights violations every time we've sold them arms we've looked at it and said the benefits outweigh the consequences and that's kind of a weird one because it's i feel like it's really easy to say that the benefits outweigh the consequences when the consequences aren't coming back on american citizens right so that that is an argument yeah naturally the benefits are going to have almost no cost to us because it doesn't actually directly affect us it just affects other people from other places right and and one thing to consider with this human rights argument this international law argument is that there are guidelines and there are rules set on civilian casualties saudi arabia has been it's documented um in some of their their bombing runs and, and some of their drone strikes. Right. They, they have killed civilians, but is it really the case that all the civilians and all these instances are just innocent bystanders? Absolutely not. Okay. So would you like to expand on that? Yeah. Dunlap 2017 says the public typically assumes any civilians killed are losses of quote innocence. However, the law of armed conflict makes no judgment as to whether those properly characterized as untargetable civilians are also legally innocent. The opposite might be the case in certain instances. Women and terrorist groups work in security, enforce morals laws, die as suicide bombers, torture other women, and manage sex slaves. They serve as teachers, doctors, tax collectors, and they offer legitimacy by acting as online recruiters. Most of the women having the kind of roles in terrorist groups that are described above are nevertheless likely not properly targetable under the law of armed conflict because they are probably not participating directly enough in hostilities, even though their activities may be criminal. So some of these people that are dying or some of these innocent civilians that are dying as a result of faulty drone strikes or bad intel, whatever it may be, or even just the unescapable consequence of taking down a high value target, even though they are innocent, they could still be associated with the crime that's happening in the first place. Right. The, there's a fine line between civilian and innocent. The, that line isn't outlined in international law, but there is a difference. Some of these civilian casualties might not be, innocent people dying. And I think that this is the kind of evidence that the neg is going to be able to use to quell some of the arguments from the pro that, you know, whenever we mess up and make a mistake in Saudi Arabia or whenever we sell these arms as the United States to Saudi Arabia, and then they mess up and make a mistake that we're not actually responsible for innocent deaths. We're just responsible for the deaths of civilians indirectly. And that those civilians may not even be on the up and up. So that actually leads us really good and really well. Ooh, Ooh. into the con side. 
generally, I think the con side is going to be advocating for mainly security. There are economic benefits you can bring up. You can actually advocate also for human rights under the con because of the war they're fighting in Yemen. They are trying to protect the other side. It's like a lesser of two evil situation. Right. Okay. Um, counterterrorism. They're doing a lot for counterterrorism in the region. Well, that's kind of a weird one, though, isn't it? Because by our definition, the Houthi rebel group would be a terrorist group. But Right. They are rebels. and Yeah. But isn't the only difference between a legitimate military force and a terrorist group whether or not they have a state sponsor backing them? Sort of, yeah. <sighs> it's tough. They're also, I mean, Saudi Arabia, aside from... They are doing more than just the conflict in Yemen. They're taking out ISIS members. They're fighting Al-Qaeda. They're doing a lot in the region for counterterrorism. So even though they may be killing civilians, sometimes innocent civilians, they're also helping put away the bad guys. Right. Some, you know, No matter what you think about the Yemen conflict, whether you're not necessarily you listening, but whether somebody agrees or not with the Houthis or the Saudi Arabians on the conflict in Yemen, they are fighting terrorism as a whole, like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, that are generally perceived as not good. Yeah, I don't... I mean, is there a state sponsor for ISIS right now even? I don't think that there is anymore. ISIS has always confused me. Yeah, it's... Because they were ISIL and then they're ISIS and... (coughs) Excuse me. They talk about having some mandate from god to be doing what they're doing and that they're backed by different governments right. but then those governments renounce them the next day whenever they say those things so right isis is just the islamic state which is so vague yeah you never really know but either way we know that they see the united states as awful they see saudi arabia as awful they are a threat to security and saudi arabia is fighting them Makes sense. One piece of evidence with that is sort of an impact card. Saudi Arabia arrested 190 ISIS members and saved over 1 million lives in 2016. So they officially released their data on their counterterrorism efforts for 2016. In one instance, they saved 1 million Muslims by stopping a terrorist attack at the Prophet's Mosque. They've arrested a lot of ISIS terrorists. They're preventing suicide attacks protecting spectators and civilians from all these different attacks and that is a huge impact 190 isis members and over a million lives saved now can you as the negative team actually make the link that the arms sales and the military assistance provided from the united states is what allowed them to perform these operations i think with with us making up such a large part of their supply of training that's and true arms with the 61% of everything they have militarily coming from us, it is probably pretty easy to say that a lot of these things wouldn't have been able to happen without the United States arms right. sales. It, it would be difficult to argue that we had no part at all. You know, would you notate um, Saudi Arabia standing on its own two legs under the pro side really quick? Oh yeah. It's something I wanted to talk about later. Yeah. This, uh, you may know what I'm talking about here. See where I'm going. We'll, we'll touch on it in a second. We'll circle back, yeah, but we'll move back to, to pro there. But I think it'll be another approach that the affirmative team could take in today's topic. Yeah, one one other part of con, though, that I do want to talk about yeah. is prefer- preserving relationships slash oil dependency. Yeah, this is important. Saudi Arabia is 
the number two oil supplier to the United States. Who's the number one? I don't know. Is it... I feel like it's Afghanistan. Or maybe it's like Canada or something. That would just totally surprise you. Who is the number one? Come on, Google, do your thing. So right now we're actually Googling this information as we speak. Uh, you should just Google number one U.S. oil supplier. We're really prepared here at the Farmers Partner Podcast. <laughs> Former Partners Podcast. Man, that's a tongue twister just about. Um, that is just an alphabetical order. Okay. Um, we'll here just scroll down through it really quick. Go back up. Yeah, it looks like the largest by far is Saudi Arabia for OPEC suppliers. So they're the largest OPEC supplier of oil to the US. Uh, who's the largest not? Aha, Canada. I was right. Called it. Canada is you the largest. Say, you never said Canada. I said it's probably something like Canada that you wouldn't expect. Just a moment even, ago. Roll that. it back and play the recording. You'll hear it when you're yeah, editing. No. I promise. I don't think you This did. is going to be really fun for the listeners at home. So what's going to happen is that Quentin doesn't believe that I just said what I said like two minutes ago. And he's going to think this until he gets done with the editing. So in the future, he's going to listen to something I said in the past. It's going to change his opinion of that thing in if, the past. If I listen back while I'm editing and you said that right here after I finish this sentence, I will cut in myself saying, okay, I was wrong. Okay. That sounds like a deal to me. What you couldn't hear at home is that we just shook hands on that, and I just can't wait to listen to the podcast and hear Quentin but say, okay, I was wrong. If I listen back and you didn't say it right here after this sentence, I'm going to cut in me saying, Lucas is dumb. I mean, you just changed the terms and conditions, so hold on. Let me reshake. All right. So okay. if you hear Lucas is dumb, then I guess I'm dumb, but I'm He's 95% sure I just said it's probably something like Canada. A dumb liar. Okay. Hi. Um, Quentin in post-editing here. I so badly wanted to cut out the part where Lucas said Canada and just make fun of him, but I'm too honest for that. So, yeah, he did say Canada, and I'm dumb and can't listen, apparently. And I'm actually very embarrassed, so please don't make fun of me. Thanks. That's all. Back to the podcast. So, anyway, oil dependency. <laughs> Sorry about that tangent. I know some of you have actually made comments about us staying on track. We're doing our best. There is concern that if the United States pulls support, pulls sales from Saudi Arabia, that will ruin our relationship. And if they're our number two oil supplier and we hurt our international relations, what kind of impact is that going to have on you as the consumer? Right. We would have to find a different supplier. Not really a different supplier, but... We'd have to it increase would things up for a little bit. Yeah, we'd have to either increase our consumption from other suppliers or find a new supplier. Yeah, I feel like it would probably raise gas prices. Yeah, at and the end of the day, a shakeup is not good. It may not have any long-lasting effects, but a shakeup is never good, especially for oil. And it's really fun to talk about oil as an impact on any on any side of the debate because 
that's a really easy one for you to tie directly to any judge because you can say, yeah, that's going to increase gas prices. Gas prices go up. That increases the price of shipping goods. Yeah. That's going to increase the price of all your goods with the fuel tax associated with mm-hmm. it. That's going to increase the price of your takeout food yeah. from a restaurant if they have a fuel charge included in the takeout price. And that's how you link Saudi Arabian arms sales to how much it costs to buy Chinese food. In the United States. And it's a real thing. <laughs> and that's how globalism works. So that's just a small, not a small impact. That's just a small part of the impacts you could run. The bigger ones are things like security, like we talked about. And that's where that definition of arms sales comes in from the Congressional Research Office or service, because that includes peacekeeping operations, demining, counterterrorism, military training. That is huge. That is what makes, if there's any stability at all in the Middle East, we probably play a part in it. Yeah, because... If we're talking about military training, especially if we leave and Saudi Arabia is left of its own accord to train their soldiers, who's to say they're going to train their soldiers in a way that is in line with international law like we've been able to. And that can be the overall point of the con is just general control. So again, kind of a lesser of two evil situation. Like, yeah, maybe Saudi Arabia is not doing great under the status quo, but if we leave, they might just do what they're doing bad worse. Right. If as long as we are the ones selling them arms, we have at least a say in how they use them, how they operate, that sort of thing. If we pull out, does that mean somebody else can move in? Technically, yes. Will it? Maybe not. I don't think so either. Uh, I don't know. To, cause to me, it seems unlikely that if we're making up 61% of their arms and, you know, say we cut cold turkey, we're not going to sell them anything else from here on out. That's going to be devastating to their military. Right. They're going to have to probably do some 10, 15 years of reworking new contracts with other international suppliers of arms. And I just can only see that. I can only see that as beneficial to the Houthi rebels. Right. And, so that idea of a power vacuum theory wants to say, yes, we make up a majority of their arm sales. If we pull out, people are going to be lining up. But realistically, evidence says no. Yeah. Evidence says no. Interestingly enough. And if you could find the card, I want to throw out the citation at least. Yeah. So we're not plagiarizing these words. Oh, I thought I had it. Hold on. I believe you did. I saw you had it on here. It might have been above that, though. Regardless, uh, just as he's just to fill some time while he's looking for this, this power vacuum question actually came to us from Carthage High School, and uh, we've said it before. I'll say it again. If you have any questions about this topic, we always do two episodes on every public forum topic. One a little more generalized, one a little more specific, where we'll try to do an example debate as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can answer those questions to the best of our ability. So send them to us at. At former partners on Twitter. Yeah. Or email it to us at. Former partners at gmail.com. Oh, it's so easy. I love it when we have taglines, no, not taglines, uh, social media information that actually lines up. <coughs> but going back to that retooling of their military, if we were to pull out some evidence on it, Meyer in October of. 2018, uh, essentially Saudi Arabian government would be in a tough spot with the U.S. if they were to, if we were to pull out, because the president has said the U.S. doesn't just sell weapons to the Saudis, and then the Russians or the Chinese could just step in and do it. It's not that simple. You can't just strap a Chinese bomb on an American F-15. They're not 
cut the same way. So it'd be like loading the wrong caliber ammunition into a gun. It just wouldn't fire. Right. So all, all those systems have to talk. Yeah, they all have to line up. the same language. So we make up two-thirds of their flying craft currently. They couldn't just buy Chinese munitions and keep using our flying craft. <laughs> They'd have to buy Chinese craft and buy Chinese munitions, and that's going to set them behind. So realistically, if we were to pull out of Saudi Arabia, they wouldn't be able to quickly retool their military. Right. The next card, Hard Tongue November 2018, says it would take decades for Saudi Arabia to wean itself from dependence on U.S. equipment. <laughs> we make up such a large supply. If we just stopped and they had to start replacing it with somebody else's equipment, it would take a long time. And I think that's a really good point for the NEG to make because not only does that hurt the Saudi Arabian government that we've been trying to turn into a democratic government for a long time, um, but it, it also opens the opportunity for groups like ISIS, group like the Houthi rebels, to maybe move in on the Saudi Arabian government while they're having this time of weakness because they're having to retool their military. Something I was just talking about a little bit ago, and this kind of relates back to retooling the military, was the fact that I think that maybe Saudi Arabia could stand on its own two legs, and there's going to be some evidence to support this. We haven't got those cards cut yet, but they'll most likely be included in the candor briefs, either the first or second release. But the pro could take a really unique stance on this topic and not come at it from the perspective that Saudi Arabia is this horrible human rights violating monster, and we need to stop facilitating those violations by providing them with so much munitions. They could actually say, well, Saudi Arabia has come a long way since the 90s, and we've made a lot of progress in stabilizing their government. They have the military power they need to continue to fight the battles they're fighting. They can stand on their two legs. These sales are no longer necessary, and it's actually hurting our image in the international community to continue doing so, so we can pull out and they'll be okay. Right. And I think that that would actually be a very beneficial viewpoint to take occasionally maybe have a secondary case available like reading your judge because not everyone's going to agree with the fact that saudi arabia is just a bad country and yeah. just a bad place so if you take this perspective you're not painting them as the bad guy you're painting them as a struggling country who's attempting to fight terrorism the best they can and saying that we've helped them to the full extent of our legal capability and it's time for us to cut ties right if they want to keep doing what they're doing that's okay but we're ready to back out and let them take care of it from here. Yeah, and I think that that would be a fun way to approach the topic and an unconventional way to approach the topic that might give your case some uniqueness that will resonate with the judge really well. Right. Uh, I do like that for pro a lot. I might write a case like that for, for the brief. That would be interesting. Circling back around to Khan, though, and another question that we actually got from Carthage High School, uh, it was essentially... Considering all of every, every all of everything that we do in the Middle East, because we're not just doing this with Saudi Arabia, we're doing this with, I would say, almost every country right. we, in the we Middle play East. Some part we have a position with just about every country in the Middle East. Uh, that the question is, if we were to pull these arms sales from Saudi Arabia in the Middle East, would it actually have any significant impact because of all of the other activity that we have in the Middle East? Right. Or would the impacts be significant, significant enough to vote pro? And I don't know. That's a tough one. And that's yeah. going to be something the evidence has to say. And that's another unique, possibly resonating uh, approach that the con could take. Right. Say, say what you want about the Saudi Saudi's position on everything, what they're doing in Yemen, all of that stuff. 
considering how big of a role we play in the region in general, will doing this one thing have any impacts for the region? And I think that it opens up an entire con argument that I was talking about with you in the car right over here, that you could go full power the opposite direction and out pro the pro team right. and actually say, well, this isn't going to have any significant impact if we just cut arms sales to Saudi Arabia because we're also supplying arms to Iran and that's the other side of the conflict. So if we actually want to have a, an impact in the Middle East, we have to cut arms sales to everybody, all the countries in the Middle East, or we have to cut arms sales to Saudi Arabia, Iran, Yemen, and you know the other. Right. And those are just examples. I don't think we're actually supplying to Iran. Yeah, you'd probably be surprised. I mean, I'm sure at Iran, some Iran level Contra happened. Yeah, but I'm sure on some level we are, but regardless, those are general examples. Uh, the con team, I think, does have the ability to say the pro team is not going far enough. We need to go further. And that is still negating the resolution. You are negating the resolution by not agreeing with it. You're not just saying the United States should discontinue its arms sales to Saudi Arabia. You're saying they should discontinue their arms sales to any actor that's in violation of these international laws that could be your stipend or your uh your framework for your entire case right and the, we've talked a billion and a half times on how to not run a counter plan if you want to hear that listen to our intro to public forum essentially we'll just don't give an actor or a specific action just talk generally about the fact that there are other options that accomplish the same thing right. better so we shouldn't vote pro because there's just better stuff on the table but don't right. say what that better stuff is a exactly cost, uh, a cost benefit analysis 100 percent do it you say, you know, look at pro side, what are they doing? What are the benefits? Look at con side or look at all these other examples of possibilities. Do they create more benefits for less cost or the same cost? And I think that that, I mean, that's four approaches to the topic right there that we gave you. You can come from the perspective on the pro that Saudi Arabia is bad and they're doing bad stuff. So we need to cut Violating ties human because rights and international law. Yeah. Like we're helping them do all this. So we need to stop. Or you can say, Hey, they're not so bad. They're doing the best they can, but they don't need us anymore. We're violating international law by helping them. So we just need to go ahead and pull out to save grace. Right. And then on the con, you can say, ah, uh, we need to stay in because we're helping them in a lot of ways. And if we pull out, we're going to be way more detrimental than if we stay in. All right. We're helping security, stability, counterterrorism. Infrastructure. Yes. Or again, on the con side, you could say uh, the pro team's not going far enough. We need to go further. We need to be cutting aid to any country that is in violation of the AECA. Right. Voting pro would have no significant impacts in in a pro world. Yeah. Like they're not actually accomplishing their goals right. uh, because if the pro team actually comes at you and their only goal is to literally just stop sales to Saudi Arabia and they have no further impacts on why they want to stop arms sales to Saudi Arabia, they're just saying it's something that needs to happen. Then maybe don't take that approach. <laughs> yeah, no, I would agree. But I don't see a lot of pro teams doing that because it's kind of hollow and it doesn't provide a lot of good debate. Yeah, so make sure, you know, consider definitions. It is going to be a big part of this debate, Especially, even just, just the definition of what arms are and what arms sales are. That's going to be huge for the framework that can make or break a billion arguments, depending on what your definition is. So consider that. Consider all these different approaches to each side. Consider how the United States works, look into the American Export Control Agreement, look at the foreign, uh, is it foreign access or foreign aid agreement, whatever it is, the FAA of 1961, 
both of those play a huge part in the general legality and guidelines of how we sell to Saudi Arabia. Also consider pausing the podcast and giving yourself a five minute break, getting a glass of water. It's important to stay hydrated and take care of yourself while you're doing these long hours of research. Yeah. I know that Quentin and I often star- starved ourselves and dehydrated ourselves without meaning to. It wasn't a conscious thought. You just get so into it that you don't realize you haven't eaten in six hours. You, or you haven't sleep. You yeah, have exactly. You, you, you just <laughs> Little TLC is never a bad thing. That's just like my, uh, my PSA for and you for the day. That's how you stop yourself from getting burnt out like we did at the end of our senior year. True facts. I think that we've just about covered it for this first episode, though. Yeah, we will have a more in-depth episode that later. will feature an example debate. Two example debates. Ideally, yeah. Two example debates. Specific arguments to read. Different blocks. And again, all of the evidence that we read today uh, is available, or will be available, excuse me, in the Candor briefs that is going to be coming out relatively soon. Yeah, uh, like I said, I'd say in the next... Next few days, I want to have it out by the beginning of next week, at the latest. That'll be available for $25 normally, but if you're listening to this podcast and you would like to use the promo code... Demining. No, that's too hard to spell. Really? Yeah, let's let's do oil. Promo code OIL. O-I-L for $5 off. You can get that and use that code at candordebate.com. For this release, whenever it is ready, follow us on Twitter at Candor Briefs and at Former Partners so that you can get a notification when we do drop the brief. If you're struggling on doing any parts of this, just contact us directly on Twitter at Former Partners or uh, at Former Partners in Gmail. Quentin will respond rather quickly, I would say within 12 hours, and he'll help you get the purchasing process done. I know that online shopping can be kind of confusing sometimes. If I'm awake, I'll respond probably within five minutes. If I wake up and I have 12 emails, that's usually when it takes me a little bit to respond because my brain just doesn't work yet. So, yep, if you need anything, email us. CanterDebate.com, promo code OIL at checkout for $5 off the brief whenever it's ready. Find out when the brief is ready by following us on Twitter. I think that's all the good stuff. All right. Well, this has been Former Partners Podcast. I am Lucas Monroe. And I am Quentin Cooper. And as always, uh, thank you and good luck. It's thanks and joy and good luck. As always, thanks and joy and good luck. I want to say it. I always say it. Okay. I guess that I'm not allowed to say our outro phrase. Thanks, enjoy, and good luck.